Woke up this morning into my car to start my day. First stop is my buyer, who six months ago walked away. When I arrived, he treats me like a commodity. Give me a speck on his inner connect, he wants price and delivery. And if we're over $20, he tells me this business we're gonna lose. He's got a singing that old, don't know value. Welcome, everybody, to the Value Clarity Podcast, where we believe that value is the reason your company exists, which means you better be really connected to your value or connected to a bankruptcy attorney. Uh, Today, I am thrilled to have Julie Kane, who is the CEO of Democracy Investments, a startup uh, that's an ETF. Julie, welcome. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Julie and I met at a, at, a con- at a convention, and I just really love what they do. But part of what I love wh- about what you do is you're really customer-focused, right? You're, you're an ETF. The world doesn't need another ETF, does it? Well, it depends on the theme. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, they, and that's exactly it. So um, I could describe what you do, but maybe you should do that. Absolutely. So uh, we take an all-world XUS basket of stocks and neutrally reweight it towards more democratic countries and away from authoritarian states. So your end portfolio is promoting democracy and giving less capital to authoritarian states, such as Russia, China, UAE, Egypt, Saudi Arabia. So if you are pro-democracy, your dollars are going to fuel their economies and if you are anti-authoritarianism, you are no longer possibly investing in those countries. Many the products out there today that follow the all-world XUS indices can be over 10% in those authoritarian states. So that's really important, right? If I go out and buy a global ETF or, you know, I, I want to invest outside the United States, I want to put some of my portfolio outside the United States, I hunt down these ETFs or funds that are ex-US or outside of the US, um, China has a lot of big companies. Yes, yes they do. Right, yep. And so when you invest in the average one, you're investing on a pro rata basis, which is on one hand, it, it sounds like good financial thinking to include China on a pro rata basis uh, based on the market capitalization, but your fund says, hold it. Maybe not. Exactly. Yeah. The other products have been adding more and more authoritarian states over the years. Like I said, over 10%. We bring that down to 3% or less. So um, on your website, you talk a lot about use your money to invest in countries that pro-democracy countries. And I think there's a lot of people who want to be able to put their investing dollars uh, behind democracy. You've got a really great methodology using uh, an index developed by The Economist magazine, correct? That is correct. We use The Economist uh, Democracy Index. They've been publishing that since 2006 with factors including um, free and fair elections, civil liberties, political participation. Um, it's the, We think it's the most robust democracy index in the world, and we're honored to be partnering with them on this. Yeah. And so some other countries besides China that rank low on that democracy index, some of them are kind of surprising. Singapore, 
which is um, a, a pretty totalitarian country, country that doesn't really have very free and fair elections. Uh, it's a great country. I've been there, but it's pretty tightly structured. Yeah, so the, the beauty of what we're doing is we're not deciding who gets what score. We're, we're trusting the economist for that and just neutrally using it to reweight a portfolio so that investors can align with their values of democracy. And, and at the end of the day, as our fund gets bigger, every country will be incented to improve their democracy score. They can look up, it's all public information, which of those 60 indicators that go into every country's score do they need to improve to get more capital? So at the end of the day, it's also an incentive system to encourage the whole world to become more democratic. Yep. And so when I first uh, heard of, it, uh, of democracy investments, uh, symbol DMCY, um, I, I love what you're doing, but when you were talking about it, you were talking to the people in the room who want to promote democracy. And I was, I don't know, grumpy old man, uh, more pessimistic. I said, you know, my, my, and no, I can't invest enough to have one of these countries care. However, what I can do with my portfolio is I should care about the risk, uh, authoritarianism risk. Um, when, you know, Venezuela and other um, Central American companies just uh, took over private companies, oil companies have had vast fortunes wiped out uh, on the whim of a dictator. Absolutely. And if you own stock in that company, you paid the price for basically not for authoritarianism risk, for um, some risk, a political risk in a foreign country. And so I love this thing because uh, you're actually that authoritarianism, that, that democracy index is a really great proxy for authoritarian authoritarianism risk. Yeah, it, that's another way to look at our, the benefits of our of our strategy. Yeah, if if you're a greedy sob like me. <laughs> yeah. So and and um, I was just reading in last night's uh, or last night in this week's um, Economist magazine, The Economist. Uh, so that now everybody knows what week we're recording this. It was uh, November thirteenth through nineteenth. Um, there's an article titled "China's Other Debt Problem." And uh, these economists calculate that up to 20% of the commercial banking system in China has some close links with tycoons or private businesses in China. So we've all heard about the, you know, the, the um, what is it, Ever, Evergrande. Uh, and there's another one on the way, um, Kaisa. Uh, those are big real estate development companies that are, in financial trouble, but there's going to be probably some system-wide or governmental bailout or adjustment of some kind to the business risk, um, partly because these companies are very well connected. They're not being allowed to fail. And now here's news that up to 20% of the banking system is tied to private interests in these tycoons. What does that mean in terms of, of business risk in those countries? Uh, well, you summed it up beautifully. I mean, any investor can, can see what's going on. Um, 
and if you think that's going to continue, why would you why would you allocate towards authoritarian states with systems that are not driven by economics but by government and private interest? Yeah, um, and if that twenty percent sounds low to people, let me take you back to two thousand eight. Uh, we've we've had a bunch of people blame Freddie and uh, Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae for the failure of uh, subprime mortgages. At their peak holdings, at peak valuations, Freddie and Fannie together had fewer than 7% of all the subprime debt. At their, so 7% failing. And if you think Freddie and family, Fannie were the ones that caused it, 7% uh, of the outstanding debt brought the entire banking system to fail. Now here's China who has 20% of their banking system tied to crony capitalism. Um, should you or should you not be scared by a number that's three times the size? <laughs> so um, I, I happen to personally think that the, the risk is pretty big and is worth really paying attention to. So uh, full disclosure for everybody, I am an investor in uh, uh, democracy investments. I am one of your uh, small pool of startup investors, Julie. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate it. So um, you've got a challenge as a startup. There's a lot of funds out there. How are you trying to differentiate and how are you trying to stand out? Uh, very simple, just focusing on our theme of democracy. We're, we're the only passive index strategy product out there that the theme of democracy. And we have an exclusive license of the Economist Democracy Index and so no one can, can replicate what we're doing using that index. Um, so we're trying to find other like-minded, we call it the coalition of the willing people, you know, whether it's you want to promote democracy or stop the rise of authoritarianism. This is a very simple strategy where you can know as we, as our, as this fund grows, we're actually incentivizing countries to think about their scores and, and um, uh, no longer, like I said, no longer passively fueling the growth of these authoritarian states with less transparent practices, human rights abuses, environmental abuses, the list goes on and on. Yep. Not to mention they've been stealing our tech, meddling with our elections, that cyber attack, <laughs> we're passively giving them capital, like we've got to turn that around. Yeah, that money that money goes to those countries or, and to those leaders and to those governments. It doesn't just go to the companies. That's, that's the nature, right. that's the nature of a business in an authoritarian regime. Um, and so you're going to market the same way uh, any other ETF does, which means you sell through uh, broker dealers and the like. So tell us, uh, tell us what the challenges are for any company. You, you know, you've you've worked at some of the big companies, and you know what the challenges are. And um, how does that relate to the challenges when you're a tiny little startup ETF? Well, we've had great feedback on our strategy, but like any ETF, until we get to about 50 million in assets under management, we can't be on the wirehouse platforms. And we've had we've we've shared our strategy with them. They love what we're doing, and they, they just come back when you're 50 million. We're at about uh, we're almost at 4.6 today. So we need to find those those that are willing to get into you know Schwab, Fidelity, Ameritrade. Robinhood, you can buy us through all of those platforms. We're listed on the New York Stock Exchange. And then eventually once we get larger, we'll be on the, those other platforms that require, uh, they're just not friendly to the smaller funds. They, uh, they look for um, both a longer track record and more AUM. So that's, that's probably our biggest challenge. 
we didn't, <laughs> interestingly, we didn't know getting from A to B was going to be harder than from getting from A to Z. But we've learned that and we've adjusted our strategy and we're, we're, uh, we're, we're continuing to get out there and appreciate you uh, hosting us and helping us spread the word. Well, Julie, I love what you guys do. Um, and I wish I could do more uh, other than my, you know, my couple bucks that I'm throwing into the fund and uh, being able to give you some visibility, whatever I can do. I, you know, I'm thrilled with what you're doing. Thank you, Mark. Um, so when you don't have resources, you have to become resourceful. Um, so what does that, I, I see you've uh, got some, some coverage on your website. You're I actually you rang the bell virtually on the N, NYS, on the NYSE, right? We sure did. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, you've had some, you have had some great interviews with, uh, people that matter more than my little podcast. <laughs> uh, tell, <laughs> tell, tell me about that and, and what else you're doing to get the word out. Yeah, so we're we're shaking every tree. We're we're we started with our immediate friends, family, former colleagues, and then organically we've been picked up by some other uh, media outlets, as you can see from our website. Um, we also try to find um, now that people are, are getting together in person more. We've been going to conferences, which is how you and I met. Um, we also host smaller, more intimate gatherings. Like, for example, we hosted an event for Swedish entrepreneurs here in the Bay Area, and they brought all their friends, and they're very passionate about what we're doing. So we're finding little pockets of support, both uh, in person and virtually. Um, and, uh, yeah, looking, we'd love to get more media if anyone has any ideas. <laughs> we're, okay. we're, uh, you're looking at the marketing department. We're, we're a scrappy startup and we've got to keep our fee. We've got to keep our expenses low so we can lower our fees over time. That's how we'll, that's how we'll grow and be competitive as an index fund. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to give you that pushback again, right? Uh, you've said that as you get bigger, then foreign countries will start paying attention to their democracy score. Exactly. But you're not bigger yet. Right. You don't we know will that, be. right? We right. Will you, be. you will be. But today, for today's investors, I, I personally still think that the today's investor sale is based on somebody who wants to mitigate that risk. Eventually wants to have their, have their voice heard. Um, people are walking away with their wallets. But the, the, the initial sale is mitigating that um, authoritarianism risk, especially at a time when authoritarian regimes are acting, uh, are making noises like they might do some really risky things. Yeah, it's scary. And I completely agree. And the other, the other good thing about our strategy is you're not giving up performance. We um, were the same volatility, um, same diversification, and since we've launched uh, that you're not giving up performance. In fact, we've, we've had slightly better than the competitors since we've launched. And as soon as some uh, nasty event happens in one of those countries, um, you're, it's going to be noticeably different. Yeah. You know, I've, I've noticed that you're slightly better uh, and that's fine. Uh, I've invested with you because during good times, I'm hoping you're going to be the same. And during um, crazy events, that's, that's what you're here for in, in my portfolio. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I don't know if that helps you or it's something you already knew, but uh, I think your messaging, um, it's almost two prongs, right? Right now, you can mitigate the risk. When we get bigger, you're going to be able to mitigate the risk and send a message. 
There you go. Uh, I think um, I, I think you may. I'm just going to challenge you, saying you may be underrepresenting that near-term risk mitigation on some of your messaging. Okay. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that. Food for thought. You know, uh, you know your customers better than I do, and I'm just some knucklehead. But um, that seems to make sense to me. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you for sharing that. We will uh, look into tweaking that. Cool. Uh, what else do we need to know about Julie Kane, your history, the history of your team um, that you'd like to share with us? Our team is mission driven and very passionate about democracy. Um, I began my career as a naval aviator. Um, my chief economist uh, also works with the DOD and uh, my chief investment officer spent some time in Venezuela. So we've all, we've all been right there front seat, seeing the, uh, as you described, the risks of authoritarianism and um, are worried, honestly, about the direction the world's going. I mean, it's democracy is in decline across the world and we don't see it turning around. And it's actually, it's worse than what you read in The Economist. Um, our chief economist figured out that if you look at democracy score by population, GDP, and market cap, the story is actually worse than if you just look at it by country mean, which is what generally uh, the way it's been reported. So you look at it by person and what's going on with GDP, and it's it's terrifying. I mean, how do you turn it around? You know, I mean, that's that's what that's how we're driven. That's how we're motivated. We want to help um, get the world more focused on. Oh yeah, um, thinking you, you about make, that. Yeah. yeah, you make a great point. It's not. Uh, these the authoritarian countries aren't the Venezuelas of the world that are a drop in the world population bucket. They're China. And uh, Narendra Modi, uh, India is becoming less democratic than it used to be. So when a billion people here, uh, you know, a billion people here, a billion people there, pretty soon you're talking a lot of people. That's right. And, and um, so it's, I think this is really worth paying attention to. Yeah, more more countries are are uh, have moved towards being hybrid authoritarian or authoritarian than there are flawed democracies and democracies. Those are the, the four buckets in the Economist. Yeah. So um, I guess just to recap, there is for somebody who wants to diversify their portfolio outside the United States, why would they want to? Let's start with that. Why would you want to do that? Oh, actually, international equities are cheaper relative to the domestic equities right now. So, and and it's a it's an you know an interesting way to diversify. Um, so there's a good reason to diversify because those equities are cheaper. The the PE exactly. ratios are, that means the PE ratios price act, price um, earnings ratios are yep. lower, which means uh, they're more of a bargain. You're buying more dollars of income when you buy a dollar of a foreign stock. Yeah, so the U.S. Uh, P.E. ratios are all-time high, and the spreads are also at an all-time high. So it's a really good idea to get some of your money out of the United States, out of United States companies. But now that you've made that decision, now you worry about what you know what you don't want that you want you know what country you want out of. But now, uh, as a U.S. investor, it's hard to figure out how you're going to which countries you want to get into. And uh, a global basket based on market cap 
is one approach, but you've got this other approach that you, you said it briefly is performing about the same as a market basket because there haven't been any exogenous uh, authoritarian events. So you're not giving up any performance now, but you're actually getting less risk. That's, that's definitely one way to look at it. Um, yeah, we're large cap, mid cap, emerging markets and developed markets. And, uh, you know, if you, if you want to know your dollars aren't going towards countries, like I said, with human rights abuses, not focused on ESG, they don't have free and fair elections, less transparency, and uh, then why wouldn't you pick a portfolio that's weighted towards more democratic countries and away from those authoritarian states? So how can people uh, learn more? Uh, our website is www.democracyinvestments.com. And our ticker symbol, as you said, is DMCY and the New York Stock Exchange. Cool. Julie, um, anything else you need to, to say or re remind us of before we wind it up? Uh, well, I'm not sure when you're airing this, but I guess I'd wish everyone a wonderful holiday season. Um, please do your research before investing. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. <laughs> and it was just a pleasure to be here, Mark. Thank you so much. I hope, uh, I hope I wish you well on all your future podcasts for the year and hope you have a great holiday season. Thanks, Julie. And thanks, everybody, for joining us on the Value Clarity Podcast, where we remind you that value only exists in your customer's mind, which means that sales, marketing, business is a lot more like brain surgery than you might have thought. Thanks and have a high value day. Well, it ain't easy because value's in your buyer's brain. If you're selling on only your features, you're going to drive over you insane. And if you ignore your customer's outcomes, you're bound to be paying your dues because you'll be singing those old don't know value This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.